Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Mm, so I went on Twitter before we started to talk, and I saw your little, your little note that our recording would never be preempted by a sport thing. But little do you know, I am recording the Super Bowl so I can watch it later. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. I just mm. wanted to know <laughs> how well you knew me. <laughs> I have no intention of watching. What are you... Of course not. Of course I'm okay. not recording it. I don't I don't want to watch that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to say, what? <laughs> I mean, no shade to all the listeners for whom this is really important. Do your thing. But no, I could care less. Yeah. That's all. You were correct. You were correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a relief because if you had become a football fan, I would have been... Uh, <laughs> disappointed <laughs> not that it's the worst <laughs> sport but it is the worst sport actually yeah it might be one of them it's a horrible sport for sure it's not good yeah no it's just like hey let's see if we get these guys to hit each other really really hard with the balls like in the middle of the, the guys hitting each other it's like yeah it's so great it's like I, so I, I i do sports folks like i i don't get this i don't get this shit i find it weird i don't get it no no oh my god nora this week was like <sighs> A lot of things happened this week and I just, I'm finding it hard to like figure out what we're supposed to say. So I, I, I feel like we should just almost do a review of the week because so many things happened. It's just like, mm. what? <laughs> just all the news yeah. was saved for this week. Yeah. Complete with the bread and circuses at the end of the football thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Do you know what's so funny? I years ago blocked the word Super Bowl on um on Twitter and so every year it creeps up on me like so surprisingly because I don't get any Twitter bowl <laughs> Twitter bowl <laughs> stupid sports bowl uh, <laughs> news. Um but it does seem like the perfect week to be ended by um a big thing that doesn't matter. <laughs> and not just a big thing that doesn't matter, but a big thing that doesn't matter but is 100% geared towards upping the recruitment to the American military. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see like what those um, those commercials are like, the ads, the big, you know, the big reason the Super Bowl actually exists in a capitalist uh, uh, environment. It'll be interesting to see what those, those ads look like in a year like this year. But anyway, I digress. Nora, a lot of really awful things happened this week. And I kind of want to start by... Uh, oh my God. Like I, the, the day, was it Monday of last week? Just as I'm, you know, waiting for, um, uh, to, to take a listen to our episode, uh, which we release on Tuesdays. And I remember waking up, opening up the news as I typically do and seeing the horrific news out of Laval, Quebec, that a bus had, run into a daycare um, full of children and uh, and injured several and two died. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I like what a, what an awful, terrifying, just 
sad, terrible, tragic. Like, I just don't know what else to say. It's just, I mean, it, it was awful to read that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the details are, are really weird. Like, when it first happened, journalists were interviewing people who were, who were there and witnessed the whole thing. And after the driver like very clearly targeted the daycare. There wasn't any question in the minds of the people who uh, witnessed it that it was a targeted attack. It was very clearly a targeted t- attack. He went something like, I don't remember if it was exactly 500 meters or 50 meters. It was a French and I was seeing it really quickly, but he went some some distance that was very clearly aiming towards this this daycare. And of course, he's been charged with first degree murder, which suggests that, that it was very intentional. Uh, because, you know, oftentimes it is very important when we're seeing driving stories like, driving is so mundane that people do have medical issues sometimes. I mean, there was a woman who was murdered by a driver. I say murdered. It was it was not the driver's fault. Um, he had a seizure while uh, hitting an intersection and, 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 and killed this woman uh, whose, whose child, who she was about to give birth, she was actually on her way to the hospital to give birth and the child survived. So, you know, there's a lot of like driving is so ubiquitous. There's a lot of things that can happen that, that lead up to something where someone might get hit and killed by a car. But in this case, in this situation, it's very clear that he was using the bus as a weapon. And like after all of the, oh, my God, and that's so horrifying. And what in the fuck could have led to a situation like this? I was struck by the 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 feeling like society's not doing super well. And there's a lot of people who do jobs that other people's lives depend on, whether it's driving a bus or driving a plane or uh, doing doing anything, subway cars or or whatever, doing anything that if they make an intentional decide to do something intentional, they can very easily kill other people. And certainly, I mean, there's that that flight um, MH17 that that disappeared over the Indian Ocean, and the the, the theory is that the, it was a suicide mission by by one of the pilots. When we have a society in decline, and there's such widespread suffering and mental health crises and all this kind of stuff, like w- where is the conversation about making sure that people are okay? Like, how do we stop things from happening like this? And how do we intercept people before any horrifying situation like this happens? And for those people who do operate heavy equipment that other people's lives depend on, like what extra supports are we giving these people? And I don't know. I don't know if that would help in this situation, but certainly there's a lot of care that, that we average people rely on to be given to the people that operate these kinds of machines. And it just seems like part of the whole conversation about what the, what the hell is going on in the, in the world right now in the country right now that is completely absent. Absolutely. And it would be great if, you know, in the in the reporting of some of this stuff, we could make those types of linkages. Um, what your analysis made me think about was about um, a lot of the stories that had come out of uh, Toronto, um, which we discussed a couple weeks ago, the quote unquote increasing violence uh, in, in Toronto. And uh, the... <laughs> The former mayor's response. Um, <laughs> we'll, right, we'll that get guy. To that. Um, the former mayor's response that there needed to be a national um, conversation on mental health, and I think he he actually he called for like a, a national summit on mental health. And it's, I mean, it's just at this point now, 
2023 is unacceptable for us to continue to refer to mental health as though it's some sort of ancillary byproduct, uh, something else that's happening over here independently of everything else that's going on in society Mm -hmm. that we can talk about as divorced from everything else that's going on in society. It's just in your head. It's just in people's heads. You know, like that's how it exists. It's not. Uh, we, We don't need like a national summit on mental health. We don't need politicians calling for people to come together and talk to one another because um, that's not useful. <laughs> but what we could have is politicians addressing some of the root causes of things that are making people um, more stressed out right now, that are making people uh, live lives in which there's a lot of desperation, which all contributes to someone's health, physical, mental, all of it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, solidarity with the folks of Laval, obviously with the families, especially who have just the most horrific experience now that they've got to deal with for the rest of their lives. And I don't know, I guess I'll be looking for details as they come out, because beyond the information of this individual's uh, charges, we don't know what's going on. And you know, having witnessed how long it takes for this kind of thing to actually get reported publicly, whether it's Alec Manassian or Alex Zombie-Sunet or, I mean, the, 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 the guy that killed the Asphalt family, like, we, we don't we don't know. We, we don't have very much details and then it, until, it, like, for, for years. And so it's another thing that doesn't seem to be going very well that we need fixed immediately. But we have some gratitude to give out before we get really into some of the other news from this past week. Let's do it. I want to say thank you so, so much. Uh, Of course, everybody sharing the podcast and making sure that others know about it. We do rely on your support, your word of mouth support more than anything else. But specifically this week, thanks so much to Jason and Bradley for your support. Thank you so, so much. Um, Before we get into more of the news coming out of Canada, I did want to also talk about what has happened uh, in in Turkey and Syria with this horrific earthquake. I mean, over 30,000 people have died and thousands more are injured. The weather, I mean, it's freezing cold and like the infrastructure it has been decimated. It's just awful um, to to just kind of witness this this terrible disaster. Um, as you mentioned on the news program uh, this week, there are places that people can turn to if they want to provide some sort of support, and and you can find those places um, and pretty easily discern which ones are better than others. Um, perhaps should we should we attach some in the show notes, Nora? Do you think? Sure, sure. We'll add a few. We'll add a few. So um, uh, for those of you who are directly affected uh, with family or anyone who is uh, directly affected and for everyone else who's watching, like this is just an awful thing. And anything that we can do um, to support in in times like these, uh, we absolutely should. Yes. And again, pay attention to what Canada is saying, because it is not much. It's been a little bit of, yeah, we're sending support. And some Canadian experts have gone over, as would be the case for a situation where Canadian experts can help, but my God, um, 33,000 dead and climbing as of Sunday night is, is, is horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. 
Okay, Nora, where do we start? I mean, God, <laughs> there's there's UFOs, there's a sex scandal in Toronto, there's um, healthcare, there's, like, it just felt like so much happened this week. I, like, where do we start? What do we do? That is such a good question. Let's start with the boring and move to the sensational. So healthcare, healthcare. <laughs> um, the premiers wanted more. Trudeau gave them 40 some odd billion. It seems like no one cares about this, actually, like other than, hey, there's this tall talks and there's no one cares about this. Like, I, I know that everything's boring as hell and as everything's sucking and as boring as hell. It's like, oh, my God, I have to also care about a federal minister's conference. But it definitely does show like how thin journalism is right now, because I have not seen I mean, I've been looking for it a very good like this will come online in eight months or 10 months, or this is going to go here and here and you will see improvements or you will not see any improvements because of the way budgeting works. This money is not going to actually make it until 2024 or whatever the, whatever the case is, whatever the case is. And instead of just seeing like spin from like political hacks being like, this isn't going to help people waiting for cancer treatment tomorrow. And it's like, no fuck. It's not. Why are you even on national television, CTV or CBC or whoever the hell I'm talking about right now? I'm not going to say, but it's, um, it's, it's this, this, this blisteringly difficult combination of exceedingly boring and also very important. That is the perfect thing to just be completely tuned out. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that was the analysis that I was expecting, but it is an analysis that I relate to. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, the UFOs have raised the bar, okay, on news. So <laughs> sorry, healthcare. <laughs> well, look, I the, the thing that I think is as an important takeaway for this is that it doesn't it feel like this is just all more of the same? It's like we've been in this... A Groundhog Day movie before. It's like, ah, healthcare is, things are bad, really bad. We should do something about it. Federal government says they're going to do something about it. Provincial governments say the federal government needs to do something about it. The federal government releases what they're going to do about it, $46 billion, whatever it is. And then they say, no matter, we're, we're, we're doing this, but the provinces are really going to fuck this up because they're going to take this money. They're not going to spend it on healthcare like we want them to. And then the provinces say, well, that's not what we want. The, the deal that the federal government is offering is terrible. This is awful. It's the federal government's fault. And the federal government says, no, it's the provincial government's fault because they don't care about our deal. And we do that until the next election. And whoever wins the fight, um, you know, benefits the most in the next election because it's all everybody else's fault. It's no one's actual fault. And uh, health care continues to be a thing that people can, um, can uh, uh, create election campaigns over. Yeah. That's fucking all it is. Let's be clear. It just it's it's just it's so like tragic because so many people are being impacted by um, both governments refusals at uh, both governments, all the governments refusals at both levels uh, to, to do anything about health care. I mean, fuck, it, it like really does benefit them to have this 
this like political football, <laughs> Super Bowl, <laughs> this political football to to argue over. It benefits both sides because they can point to someone else and they can point to themselves as like, here's the thing that we want to do, but the other side isn't doing this properly. And um, again, the more that we buy into that sort of bullshit. Uh, the more they get to get away with uh, with not actually doing the things that we need them to do to make sure healthcare improves in this country. Yeah, this is where you really see the lack of a strong uh, strong uh, the existence of any left wing uh, organizations because both levels of government know that they don't like no one's gonna fucking you know slap their hand or punch them in the gut for fucking this up. There's just no movements, and the movements that do exist for healthcare are so weak. They're so weak, and I know there's good people involved with them. I know that there's some pretty shitty people involved with them too. So fuck you guys. Um, actually, I'm only talking about one person, but you know this can be like my whole episode of like sub talking. So you don't know who I'm talking about unless you do, and then you're in on it. <laughs> but but they're not effective, right? Like. Regardless, we can look objectively at the situation and say that, you know, the, the, the movements fighting for healthcare have not figured out how to be effective. And I don't know why. I mean, part of it, of course, is that they aren't effective. <laughs> so I guess there's the answer. But what would it take to become effective is, is, is the million dollar question in all of this. And, and, and part of it, I think, is focusing so much on the question of privatization because it is, like there's you've got one group of people that are pretending that like the healthcare system hasn't been massively privatized and it has been right and so then like the average person is like I don't actually care who gives me my healthcare like I just want healthcare now right and um, there's too much heartstring pulling and not enough actual building of a, a, an, an effective fight back against the government that our only hope really is the workers themselves and the workers that can engage in work action against the government, which is not sufficient because that's them literally putting their lives on the line where we could also do other things to help this. So, yeah, it, it's it, it sucks. It sucks and it's boring. And it's a good example of how federalism is, is a death march and has always been a death march. And we're not going to fucking fix anything in this country with federalism in place. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for optimism? That's, I mean, it's, it's an excellent, um, pessimistic roundup. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, I suppose like, you know, I wasn't going to mention this next piece on the podcast cause I was like, ah, whatever. But now that we're talking about healthcare, I'm going to mention it. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. It's okay. So Ontario, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of like, uh, the, like finally, you know, over the fact that, Ontario has decided to implement a free tuition program. Yeah, I was wondering when you were going to raise this. Nice. Okay, go on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we talked about it separately weeks ago, but um, I wasn't going to raise it on the podcast because I, um, anyway, I will talk about it very briefly. So Ontario <laughs> has implemented a free tuition program in response to the lack, uh, the shortage of healthcare workers. And so... There is a new grant, okay, it's a grant, <laughs> called the Ontario Learn and Stay Grant, which provides funding for students studying in, quote-unquote, priority programs in priority communities in Ontario. Hmm, okay. So what does that mean? It means free tuition, which will cover the cost of compulsory fees, books, and other direct educational costs, supplies, and equipment for uh, people in... Um, in nursing programs, in paramedic programs, in medical lab uh, programs, uh, and master's programs of, of nursing 
and even post-grad programs of nursing. So, okay, let me just talk about the good very briefly, okay? So this is, you know, this is Doug Ford's Ontario. This is a conservative government. They are not the first government to promise free tuition. Another government promised free tuition um, in the 2010s era. The liberal government promised free tuition. Do you remember that, Nora? Oh, do I remember it? <laughs> it was the bane of uh, Nora and my, mine, ex- our existences, because at the time we were working in the student movement, the government announces a free tuition program, but it was actually a grant <laughs> that was barely even, what, like 60% of what tuition was for most people in the province. And it was it was such a, an education in the way that the news media uh, really operates as a uh, public relations arm for the government because the media was just reporting it as though it was true. It was like, yeah, free tuition, new free tuition program. And Nora and I were like kind of running around everywhere, like literally, like it felt like we were going <laughs> to press conference after press conference, newsroom after newsroom being like, no, it's not free. And like the journalists would be like, no, but they said it was free. What? It's free. And they would report that it's free. And, you know, pe- students are coming into student union offices furious because uh, it's not free. <laughs> They're still paying for education. Anyway, looks like the conservative government is actually going to make, like, be able to make a grant that covers all of these programs, like the, the tuition cost for the programs and the books and the ancillary fees, everything. So conservatives can do math better than liberals can do math, apparently. <laughs> Political math, too, because for fuck's sakes, we've always said this was popular. But anyway. And I mean, gosh, it's also like, it's like, fuck, we have been right forever. We have been saying, you know, like all of these shortages would be solved if you attempted to make access um, to, 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 to lift the barriers to access to post-secondary education in these, in these programs. So it's like, okay, there's some, someone somewhere is like, that makes sense. Or they always knew. And, you know, they're finally like, oh, we're at such dire points that we need to do this. But the bad, the bad is like, it's the weirdest program. It's they're only focusing it in very specific places. So the, the biggest nursing schools in the province at, at Toronto Metropolitan University, at the University of Toronto, like at... Uh, at some of these huge places where people are attracted to going into these programs, they're not covered. They're not covered by this. And it is such a strange decision. It, it to me, you know, is it probably has something to do with the fact that um, the University of Toronto and other um, such large schools are like wanting to become private institutions. And so maybe there was some sort of negotiation with the government where they were like, please, please don't, don't do this. And they were, they um, uh, managed to, to designate a few um, schools where it would not count, but like, what a weird, weird decision. Well, but it also just shows that like the political will, if it's there, then just you can turn like these things on like a tap. You can turn them off like a tap. And and that's where this is such a problem, because the the reality is, is that, yes, we need people to be rushed through school. Really, we need people to be given um, opportunities to learn on the job, actually. Like that's how nurses used to learn. <laughs> like we could we could do that, too. 
and and really get people into the system. But once they're in the system, if you're going to do things like refuse to give them adequate sal- salary increases, if you're going to treat them like garbage, if you're going to force them to work for 24 hours at a time, if you're going to restrict the number of doctors, which is something that every province in this country has been doing for 20 years, which, again, no one talks about when we were talking about these federal provincial transfers or negotiations, like... What do you expect is going to happen? There will always be narrowing of of care that will always create these massive backlogs and these other kinds of problems. So, yeah, this is all very annoying. The other thing that I'm preoccupied with is there's an increasing number of private companies that are doing certain healthcare things, you know, cataract surgery or hip surgery, knee surgery, shoulder stuff, hernias, whatever. And they're operating in multi-jurisdictions. And so, like, the same company will have clinics in four provinces, for example. What's really fucking interesting about that and fucked up as well is that there's no public agency that is going to have that kind of experience working across jurisdictions because everything is provincial, right? There's no hospital network that's going to operate both in Winnipeg and in fucking... <laughs> so funny as i'm saying this all i can think of is other towns in in manitoba no one's operating in winnipeg and regina no no winnipeg no winnipeg health authority no fucking saskatchewan health service or agency is, is operating outside of the province and so that means that the private sector is getting very valuable expertise about how to do things more efficiently or cut costs or make more money off of it where is this in the convert? Like it is nowhere in the conversation. All we hear is squabbling, squabbling, squabbling. And it's like boring. I just don't want to die if I go to emerge. And oh my God, there's another story of someone like me dying when they go into emerge. So I like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we unfuck this whole thing, but it, it seems very bad. And it seems like as it gets worse, there's is even less ability to explain to average people what the fuck they're supposed to think, what the fuck we're supposed to do, and what even are the solutions. Because there are there are tons of solutions that are really, really basic and really obvious to a lot of people, but we don't get to hear them in a popular, generalized kind of conversation. Um, but you know what? We're at least we're getting a farmer care program. Yeah, are we? Like, what the thing? Well, because because of the NDP liberal yeah. alliance, right? Like, that's it's happening, right? Uh, yeah. Well, we had we already have dental care. I had fucking a free dental checkup last week. No, I didn't. Oh, actually, I'm going this week, and it's not gonna be free. Right? Hmm. Never mind. Okay. Well, you know, maybe it must be on its way because who would have made that uh, that healthcare commitment um, to to prop up the government if it wasn't? So here we are, still waiting. I'm sure, it's on its way. Shall we talk about, um, oh gosh, where do we go to next? Let's stay in Ontario because I think that like the paucity of media coverage in, in healthcare and, and then what is happening in Ontario, let's put the whole fucking thing out because I, I know this is Toronto focused and I know that the majority of you do not give a rat's ass about Toronto. I know that. However, Toronto is important. <laughs> Toronto is important. And um, not just because, uh, you know, both Sandy and I used to live there. We got lots of great things to say about Toronto. Our families are all there, whatever. No. Toronto's important because it is the national center of capital in Canada. Capital operates off of Bay Street. Connections flow through Toronto. The national media establishment is principally located in Toronto. So Toronto's important. So what happens in the week up to Friday night? And I want to start with this. Sandy, did you hear about the staff at Queen's Park briefing? 
Yes, the the journalism staff that who have quit on principle because of the scandal happening in Ontario. Yes, so. Queen's Park Briefing was was owned by this Nordstar um, investment company. Well, the company that was created to purchase the Toronto Star, which was owned by two investment banking guys. They um, their their bromance fell apart and in their divorce, their properties were separated. So the guy who loved journalism got the Toronto Star and the guy who loathed journalism got like iPolitics and Queen's Park Briefing and a bunch of other and a bunch of other properties. So both of them are conservatives. The guy who hates journalism is a real hardcore conservative, like donated to Maxime Bernier's campaign, that kind of thing. But, you know, someone who's that rich is, while they'll probably be a radical conservative, they also understand how to play the game. So I'm sure that he's in, you know, Ford circles very much uh, for someone who's that rich and has that kind of control over media. So... Queen's Park Briefing has this bombshell investigation related to the fact that Doug Ford invited a bunch of developers to celebrate his daughter's fucking stag and doe, right? I saw someone refer to it as money laundering through a stag and doe. I don't doubt that that's probably what it was. And even if it was just their buds and they're giving money to Ford's fucking daughter, uh, these are folks who stand to gain the most money off of the completely bonkers new fucking highway that they want to build the uh, four, uh, whatever, 413. And the 413 rolls right up to where I'm from. I know a lot about this area of the fucking, of the, of the country. So Queens Park Briefing breaks this story, but as they're trying to break the story, the publisher himself, Paul Rivet, gets involved and is like, you're not publishing this. They go back and forth with whoever was like overseeing the stories. Uh, I guess the person below Rivet, and they're like, oh, there's problems with the stories. And half and half the, the staff quit at the exact same time. The other half of the staff are laid off as per apparently the agreement of rivet taking over Queens Park briefing. So all of this is to say, first of all, a whole bunch of journalists who were watching Queens Park closer than most people and who also don't come from this like establishment snooty fucking Steve Pakin. I'm best friends with John Tory and this is why I cried for him last night article kind of level shit. They're now no longer working at Queen's Park because they've been laid off or they quit in principle. It's a disaster for journalism. And this all happens in the same week that I'm going to pass it to you, Sandy. Take it away. Well, the mayor was caught again smoking crack, leading to a resignation. (laughs) I wait. wait, I got my resignations and mayors mixed up. (laughs) Hang on. This the. Crack smoking mayor did not resign. That was the most charming part of Ford, by the way, was that he actually smoked crack. That was so charming. And now we got this like guy who's never come fucking ten feet like in t- in contact with with crack. He's doing f- far far more expensive drugs. <laughs> yes, um, the the power abusing sex scandal mayor has resigned on Friday night. And as many of you who who are watching this story and do care um, have already pointed out online and elsewhere. And as you have pointed out, Nora, and as I have definitely thought about, but haven't pointed out publicly anywhere because I'm not online like that anymore. (laughs) What? Like a resignation? (laughs) A A Friday night resignation an hour after the Toronto Star breaks the story that um, the mayor uh, has been having an affair with a 31-year-old um, direct report of his. So this is this is a power issue. 
but like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like, it feels like Giambroni era. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, it just <laughs> feels like, okay, John Tory, the guy who we, you and I um, have probably spoken of as a loser for a long, long time, because that was, that used to be his political legacy was losing elections. Uh, he, you know, <laughs> those are good days. Those were great days. You know, he, he wins somehow in Toronto when there's like lackluster, uh, uh, candidates, uh, being floated in the last like decade or so f- uh, to run for mayor. He wins. He does nothing throughout except for, um, uh, adopt policies that are terrible for the city that have resulted in the deaths of so many uh, that have that should have been scandal worthy level things whether it's the developer stuff that's happening in Toronto or um the the exponential increase in the amount of people who are unhoused who are dying because of exposure to the elements or uh you know his ridiculous support for policing in this city that continues to take dollars away from necessary public services and put it into a service that we know makes no sense no none of that none of that <laughs> is the thing that takes him down he resigns over i don't know what seems like in 2023 not resignation worthy stuff so I mean, fuck, like, are we going to get another story about this? Like, what's happening? <laughs> Can somebody please explain this to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to just uh, go back to your your mention of Jamboroni, which is a, a classic, classic moment in Toronto heritage where a guy, <laughs> a young, young guy, uh, tall and not like not unattractive, but I don't want to call him attractive because I definitely never thought he was attractive. But anyway, was going to run for mayor. He was the protege of the former progressive mayor, David Miller, and he and he bursts on the scene and it's amazing. And then it comes out that um, the Toronto Star had reported that he had a, a, a partner, made it sound like they had been like they were wedded or something and then all of these women came out and were like yeah we bone on his couch yeah we bone on his couch too we also boned on his couch and then but it was like weird because like his partner like they weren't actually married and they hadn't been together very long so it looked like he was trying to be a family man when that whole kind of thing fell apart really quickly and then rather than being like yeah i'm 34 years old who fucking cares um because they were not like his staff (laughs) he resigned abruptly and that actually paved the way to John Tory winning because uh, this was all in the aftermath. Oh, no, sorry. That paved the way for Doug Ford winning. <laughs> my fucking mm-hmm. my uh, timelines are off. But but someone online uh, pointed out that the anniversary, the 13th anniversary of that press conference from Adam Jambroni, which I remember so fucking well. I remember exactly where I was when I watched it and, and my reaction to it. 13 years to the day was the was the day that Tory resigned. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so the Jambroni, now you're all in on the Jambroni uh, thing. He he bounced out of politics. In that situation, I do think that he was embarrassed and didn't want to have to deal with it and was just like, I'm fucking out of here. I can't handle the, the pressure. Here we have a 68-year-old man who is part of Toronto's upper crust, was making $100,000 uh, while he was mayor for his con- consulting with Rogers. Uh, he, is the, he is literally the stereotype of rich rich Toronto, the the richest people that control Toronto. 
And so what is going on here, Sandy? Like, is it, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I, I, I broke the half your age plus seven rule in a big way. Or, oh, I have so much shame. Uh, Middle-class Torontonians can't take it. Like, this is just disgusting to them. I have to resign. Or is it, uh, I have to resign now because Doug Ford's got a, a knife in my back saying, he, I, I need a scandal around you so that I can hide what I'm dealing with. Those are all things that have been floated. I'm not convinced by any of those. I don't no. think that that's what's going on here. Me neither. No. Um, but I would love to hear your take on it. But before that, I do want to give like just a little flavor of how you've got the Toronto Star, which is the newspaper that broke this. And of course, the big question that I have is who broke it to them? Who were their sources? And of course, they're not going to say that, but that would definitely give us a better indication of what the fuck is going on here. But anyway, someone knows that. Folks at the Toronto Star know that. Maybe that'll come out. But um, longtime City Hall reporter David Ryder has a piece that's brand new that is asking Tory staffers for comment. The whole thing is about how shocked they are. Part of me is hurt, said one advisor. I never would have expected this kind of reckless and selfish behavior. Mostly people are feeling the same way. And it's just like, I don't like Ryder's a fucking serious journalist. And reading this, it feels like he's just being played over and over by a bunch of staff that are all trying to save their own asses. And that are all invested in a narrative that this was so shocking that Tory had to resign, which it doesn't I don't believe it. I can't like I know enough about politics that none of this is believable. I don't know. Maybe I'm too cynical. Or what do you think? You know, none of it's believable. I don't think anyone has hit it. Like, is it possible that there's going to be like that it's a deeper scandal and more is coming out? Yeah, I think that that's possible. I do. I also think that some of the coverage has been like, quite frankly, ridiculous. Like there's a there's an article in CBC News that where the headline is John Tory's affair and resignation blow up mayor's legacy as a calm, stable leader. Is that his <laughs> legacy? Sorry, who wrote that? Is that do you know his who wrote legacy? that? <laughs> It's written by Tyler Griffin from the Canadian Press. Fuck that guy, Tyler. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that is not his legacy. His legacy is literally people voting him in, because not because they're excited about him, because there's like nothing else happening in Toronto. Nobody wants the shit of city council. It's just like that's that's the reality. So we have this, again, this political loser, this guy who has lost just so often in life <laughs> that becomes uh, the head of the city and does not make it better by any stretch of the imagination or any available measurement. Um, everything has gotten worse under Tory. So I, I don't I don't know whose legacy he's talking about, but that doesn't make any sense. I did see on Twitter, Nora, uh, your conversation with, with someone else um, where you suggest that the, the simplest answer uh, might be that he never wanted to run again, actually. And uh, some backroom machinations are, were that such that it was uh, more politically expedient for, for those people who wanted to, to keep a hold on power for him to run in the election and then resign so that other people had more time. And I saw that, um, that someone responded to you saying that that was really naive. And I think that that's only naive to someone who's, who's never been on the other side of an election campaign. Mm, yeah. That is absolutely not naive. 
it is absolutely a possibility that this was um, this has been a plan for a while. I mean, the the election just for those those who don't know, the election just happened in Toronto. Um, it's it's absolutely possible that uh, you know John Tory agreed to run again with the idea that he would resign later. Now, I don't know that he would have wanted to resign over something like this, but it is it is possible, like if nothing else comes out, it is possible that this is just the way that uh, those people who are in the same sort of uh, political vein as Tory, the same sort of conservative march forward um, for, for, the, for the city, if that's what they wanted, and they didn't have someone who would be as good as Tory, at the time that they decided it's better for Tory to run. Now, because of the the uh, province of Ontario has new rules around uh, how um, uh, cities are to be uh, operated, um, in that they have like these strong mayor rules. Um, all that's to say that these new rules require that there's going to be a by-election a by-election happening within 60 days. So that's really, really soon. Yeah. Um, again, like, so I, I think we'll know if your, if your guess on that point is correct, if, if a uh, conservative uh, sort of front-runner uh, pops up and seems super prepared. Uh, it'll be clearer if that's the case. If not, the other thing that might be interesting is that the province could change the rules whenever they want. <laughs> Also, which we did see in the last election uh, before the one that just happened, the one before last year, uh, that the the province um, shifted um, how many candidates there would be in Toronto in order to have a conservative um, uh, advantage in the city. So, you know, fuck, who knows what's going to happen? But all I can say is good fucking riddance, Black History Month, it giveth and it taketh away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to be clear, too, that that's just my guess of the simplest answer. I, I also am very open um, to there being some seriously high-level, uh, important people backdoor politics happening here. And and the, the convergence between... Ford and the 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 green belt, which is this whole area of Toronto, uh, this whole area of of southern Ontario outside the GTA and some parts inside the GTA that Doug Ford wants to develop. You know, Ford and Tory uh, are on the same team. They're they're very different sides of that team, but they're on the same team. So I'm I'm also very open to a more complex kind of I don't know dark political drama kind of thing going on here. But I think we have to be prepared for all options. And I just like anybody that's giving credence to the idea that that this is all because he he boned a 31 year old like it's not <laughs> it's 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 not. I, I suggested that like that that a man of his age could have just been waiting for even medical news to make it to make that the reason why he resigned and the resignation coming so fast after after the Toronto Star broke the news obviously had wind of what was happening because they've been investigating for a while but that's a pretty easy exit strategy on a Friday night um, in the dead days of February that seems like the the more obvious option and so what 50 days puts us into um, end of April beginning of May for an election knowing how 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 talented the conservatives are at getting people at getting their ducks in a row 
thinking specifically about how they bait and switched uh, Ford to beat uh, Christine Elliott, who was, you know, the more kind of reasonable establishment candidate when Ford even became the leader of the Conservative Party. That kind of politics is happening. I am afar, so I'm excited to see what happens. But my God, my God, my God, the left, fuck, like, yeah. <laughs> So something has to happen. And I made a joke about how like Kathleen Wynne's phone is probably ringing off the, the hook. Um, whoever they choose to run is going to be an interesting indication of where the, the, the non-right group of Torontonians are right now. I mean, like everything to the left of fucking of <laughs> the left of John Tory. Um, because, you know, there are so many people who would never have run against Tory because it would be a waste of their time. But now that the field is wide open, it will be interesting to see who runs. And sorry, um, Jill Penalosa, but it's, it's you're not going to be the pick. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, I mean, we should probably close down the episode, but we still haven't even talked about all of the stuff that happened this week. There is a lot more. But uh, perhaps as a final thing to mention, um, some some federal news on uh, the the shooting down of uh, these uh, the these unidentified flying objects in our airspace. Uh, gosh, I just as I ranted to you before we started recording, it's just really frustrating to see that this is what news has become like it's just there's there's nothing about this news that is useful to me as 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 some as a person on the ground tell me something about norad tell me something about uh, u.s uh, canadian um uh, efforts uh in the airspace tell me what's at stake for us as uh as citizens of this country like tell me something more than something that's just supposed to make me nervous and terrified because all i see right now is what feels like uh some sort of justification for increased military presence and increased military action on behalf of both canada and the united states but nothing that helps me understand why that's happening there's like no analysis it's like oh it could be aliens could be china we're shooting things down and it's like <laughs> can you tell me something more than that it's the same as crime news that doesn't doesn't really impact me like tell me the political machinations behind this that i need to understand in order for this to make sense to me it's something that i need to know otherwise i look up and i see random shit in the sky all the time <laughs> like you shoot it down or not could be dangerous or not i don't know it's like tell me something real or don't tell me at all i don't really because this sort of news is without analysis it's just supposed to keep me nervous i don't like it and it's not useful yeah. and that's not how news should be yeah and let's look at all these things right okay so first of all we've got the spying balloon from china as if um china needs to use something like that to spy on the united states like my god are you people fucking paying attention like, even from the whole war sinophobia perspective, like, a weather balloon is not fucking with your country. Like, it's just not. And, um, you know, I've seen many people post about this, how the balloon it, it follows the exact polar vortex from China drifting over North America. So is it a wayward balloon? Is it China spying? Who 
who the fuck cares? It doesn't actually fucking matter because guess what? You're all on TikTok. Like, exactly. <laughs> what the fuck, right? <laughs> Let's be clear. Right. The last. OK, so then there was the other one. Let's say uh, UFO number two. I don't I don't have that immediately in my mind to be able to say anything about it. But let's go to UFO number three, which was shot down, uh, landed in Yukon somewhere. Now, this one was like 60 feet, six, 60,000 feet. The uh, pilots from the F-35s that went around it were like very confused at what they saw. They didn't see any thrusters on it. Uh, balloons can go that high, by the way. What, like, what you know, dirigibles can go very fucking high, a uh, hundred thousand uh, feet into the atmosphere. Um, but they didn't say anything. It was just very weird. And then the pilots apparently had conflicting, conflicting stories. So that is like full on UFO territory. Make us want to see aliens, right? Though, as uh, Jeet here mentioned on Twitter, I thought this was a very helpful reminder. There's no way that intergalactic fucking travel and contact is going to be created and done at the level of technology that we're just going to find it in the atmosphere and shoot it down. <laughs> like They're going to be a lot more fucking sophisticated than that, okay, to get here. Like, think a little bit about this, folks. Okay, so aliens, probably out. But the most recent one, the one that came down on Sunday, it, this one was traveling at 20,000 feet. 20 fucking thousand feet. Now, Sandy, you spent a lot of time in airplanes. I love aviation. I'm, I love talking about airplanes. 20,000 feet is like the, the, the highest you'll go in a prop, okay? If you're flying in a fucking Dash 8 400, a prop plane with propellers, you're not going much higher than 20,000 feet. That is not very high. Uh, and so wh- wh- what is this? What is this? This is not going to be very like super high in the atmosphere. This is something that planes would have flown by. And that's apparently what happened. App- apparently a commercial plane spotted it. And again, oh, you got to shoot it down. Yeah, we're going to shoot it down. You're right. All of this is about military. All of this is about military. And I don't doubt for a minute that there is a fucking million pieces of junk in the in the stratosphere that and certainly in the fucking outer space. We know that that could be shot down in 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 the moments of needing to create a crisis and i don't know if they're creating crisis i've seen people saying oh they're trying to distract us from east palestine ohio where this massive train derailment has created a new airborne toxic event uh to that i say unlikely no one in the united states actually cares about pollution we all know this i don't think that the united states needs to fucking shoot down airplane shoot down balloons to hide um the fact that a train exploded and spewed toxic gas everywhere uh, I, I would love to imagine that has to do with the fact that Seymour Hirsch is reporting that the United States bombed Nord Stream. <laughs> like that seems like a bigger news story that could be hidden by a whole military cover up by shooting down balloons. Um, of course, Hirsch's uh, reporting is very um, people have questioned it. And, th- you know, we need to have more sources on this. But we do know that Biden very publicly was like, we can shut down that pipeline if we wanted to. And maybe they did. But. Come on, people. This is fucking not like this is this is a complete sideshow. This is a complete sideshow and is only interesting if you care about NOTAMs and altitude and fucking planes whizzing by unidentified objects. (laughs) I will say it is a better political sideshow than the U.S. news of like all of the presidents and vice presidents and whoever else the fuck had like taken secret documents to their home. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's been pretty boring. That's a boring like, sideshow. Wow. Do people really care about this? Like I am I shocked to hear that some presidents brought some secret documents home? No. I'm not. And I also don't care. <laughs> so I don't really know why everybody cares so much about that. Seems weird. 
but it's a better side show than that. I, I'll take aliens over um, over secret documents. I will too, but I do I do think that it's really important to like point out what is then being talked about in this, right? So we have. I mean, I was on CBC this morning and right before, and by the way, I stole your line about chat GPT. So thank you for that. Cause I was talking about AI, but right before yeah, they were sure. talking to someone from <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a right wing think tank, the McDonald Laurier Institute, that was like, it was very specifically talking about China and Russia, right? It's like fucking Canada airspace. Russia has claimed, have claimed the Arctic airspace, 200 nautical miles up to Canada and all this kind of bullshit. Right. And it's like, okay, I got it. Like all you folks are doing are warmongering, but where is the conversation? But like, wait, the fucking United States, like, we're just like, yeah, Hey, uh, Biden, can you, can you dispatch those F-35s and start shooting shit down above us? (laughs) Like, That seems like a way bigger conversation that for sure no one wants to have in this country, which is that our sovereignty is very fragile. And when shit hits the fan, if shit ever hits the fan, like, I mean, we had a lot of theoretical conversations about, well, what if Ukraine was Canada and and Russia was the United States? (laughs) Oh, fuck. We're not, I don't know if we're that far away from that theoretical possibility. Yeah. I mean, at least in, in the analysis somewhere, can someone do that analysis, please? <laughs> and, and not just as uh, some things we're chatting about on Sandy and Nora. That'd be good. Yeah, like, I really hope that this podcast can change, like, some fucking things about this country. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's still just a podcast. <laughs> we're doing our best. We're doing our best. But I do want to pull up um, our Minister of Defense is the one who's responded to these international air things. Not our Minister of International Affairs, not whoever the fuck our our ambassador is to the United States, um, not our federal aviation authorities or transport safety. But like, I don't know, there could be other people. Anyway, I need an ad. Today, a high altitude object was detected in U.S. airspace over Lake Huron. Okay, high altitude. Again, I thought I saw it was 20,000 feet. Anyway, I don't know. NORAD launched Canadian and U.S. aircraft to investigate, and the object was taken down in U.S. airspace by U.S. aircraft. We unequivocally support this action. We will continue to work with the U.S. and NORAD to protect North America. It's like, fuck off, Anita Nand. Fuck off, Justin Trudeau. Fuck off the federal government. This is, you guys are, this is cosplaying. How are you a federal minister of defense and you're just like acting here? You're pretending that this is a fucking thing. Yeah, Canada's just the U.S., I guess, is is the moral of this story. And <laughs> that's that, I suppose. <laughs> the end. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. The end. Well, yeah, the end. I mean, I guess other than to say John Tory, more interesting than UFOs, all of this is far more interesting than federal health care, provincial health care squabbling. But if I end up in the ER this week... I know what's more important. Oh, okay. Um, that was morbid, but okay, great. <laughs> we can end on that note. Let's all hope that Nora does not end up in the ER this weekend. No. I mean, the weekend's almost over, so there. Boom. Already. No problem. <laughs> Success. 